I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturepedic.com. That's naturepedic.com. You know, now we're talking about one of my favorite topics, discipline. And I love to talk about discipline because for me, it's not just talking to parents about how do you react when your child does something wrong or naughty or inappropriate. It's really how you talk to your child throughout the day. And I always remind parents, think of the word discipline and what's the root word of discipline? What's the root, di- root of discipline, Arthur? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked me that question. I just have to say, I wonder how many of our listeners were a little surprised to hear you say you're looking forward to talk about discipline, because I think a lot of families, they hear the word discipline, words like punishment come to mind, and people just don't like it. They don't like the fights they get into. They don't like the struggles. So to hear you very chipper and say, you know, I'm really looking forward to this, I just want everyone to know we really do enjoy it. And a lot of the reason why goes back to the root of this word. So discipline, of course, comes from the word disciple, which, you know, has religious connotations, but its real meaning is teaching. A teacher has disciples. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to teach you how to teach your children. And when you think about teaching your children, you don't just sit down and teach them for an hour a day or half an hour a day. Every interaction is a teachable moment, a moment of opportunity to talk to your child and to help them grow and develop, right? So that's what I think of when I think of discipline, which is why I don't dislike it. I love it because to me, it's the way that we talk to our children. And of course, in a day... There'll be wonderful things, and there'll be things that you have to correct or you have to um, help the child manage in a different way. And in another podcast, we're going to talk about what I would almost call the flip side of discipline, and that is how do you praise your child? And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So, Arthur, um, we said that the, the root word of discipline is to teach. And I think that parents sometimes do confuse, you mentioned this before, the difference between discipline and punishment. I think that difference between discipline and punishment is at the heart of everything we're going to be talking about today. And I really do think it's at the heart of a big piece of parenting. Our culture really encourages parents to think that the way to teach someone what a rule is, is to punish them. We see it all over the place. We won't get into how that works in American and European culture, but it's there. I think we grow up thinking that we're not really going to be good parents unless we're willing to punish our child. And even further, that a child will learn a rule for sure and internalize it and respect it and actually observe it unless they suffer some pain when it's violated. So if there's a difference between discipline and punishment, it comes from the fact that punishment is about inflicting pain. And there really is a cultural value in our world for thinking that pain is essential to learning to respect a rule. And I just want to add, it can be emotional pain as well as physical pain. Absolutely. And, you know, we don't talk about it much, but I really hope that our listeners, as they go through our podcasts on Parent Talk, get a sense of a theme that runs throughout all of them, which is however you raise your child, we like to encourage people to do that without using shame. And whether it be toilet training or sleeping through the night or whatever topic we talk about, we can help children solve their problems, their problems, without adding shame into their lives. 
and punishment always carries shame. Absolutely. This talking to children in a way that doesn't include punishment and doesn't include shame, because you just said it so perfectly, Arthur, it's so imbued in our culture that it's difficult to sort of tease out how do you do this without shame or punishment, that it's like learning a new language for parents, isn't it? They have to really wrap their brain around that there are different ways to react to your child. Absolutely, Susan. Going back to those uh, root words, discipline and punishment, a lot of people are going to think, you know, well, discipline really is about punishment, but we're going to say they're sort of opposite. And what we mean by the difference really is punishment is about inflicting pain. It's about inducing a sense of shame so the person doesn't break the rule again because of painful memories versus what we're going to be talking about, which is really discipline as teaching. Your child is your disciple. And you can think about religious traditions or the Zen culture where the disciple learns through being imbued with learning from the leader. So the parent's the guide, not a shamer, not a pain inducer, but a guide. And the child is the learner. And we all know children love to learn. They like learning a lot more than shame. They do. And a lot. I know that parents are thinking, at least some parents may be thinking, but how will the child know what to do if we don't punish them? I mean, how will they understand that? Because what we're talking about is an internal mastery, a sense that when you do the the more appropriate thing or the right thing, I mean, I hate to use a value word like that, but when you do the more appropriate um, action or you say the more appropriate words, you have such a good feeling inside because you've developed this sense of self-esteem and confidence and internal mastery that you're going to continue to do it because it feels good. I mean, it's like endorphins. I mean, you're really, you're, the child learns how to reward themselves. Let's think about a continuum. Think of a long a, a line, and on one side, you're going to have parent-directed, and on the other side, you're going to have child-directed. Now, I think if you took a group of parents and you asked them, what's your ultimate goal for your child? I bet the words, Arthur, would come up, I want them to be independent, I want them to make good choices, I want them to be kind, I want them to be trustworthy, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if the parent is always directing the actions, if it's always on one end of the continuum, the child's not going to have much opportunity to do that, are they? No, they're not. Our goal is to have the child be the problem solver, that the child will have conflicts because conflict is part of everyday life. It's part of our world. And the child, when they see a conflict, they won't have to rely on an adult to solve it for them. They will develop the skills to be able to solve that problem themselves. And that ties right into the difference between punishment and discipline as teaching, because in the world of punishment, the child really doesn't play much of a role besides victim. <laughs> right. There's, there's, you know, and is, is creating a victim really a way to learn something? Now, I know a lot of listeners will say, what are these guys talking about? My parents, my grandparents, you know, they spanked me, they hurt me, they shamed me. And guess what? I stopped doing that behavior. It worked. Well, yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll concede that you can get a child to stop doing certain things, but I'll tell you for sure, because I know, I know this from talking to many families, when punishment is used, maybe the behavior stops for a bit, but what really also happens is resentment, shame, resentment. Those things are built into the child, have to be dealt with at some point later on. Whereas what we're going to be talking about, you don't have that residue of shame, resentment. In some ways, punishment changes the subject. It takes away the child actually learning what to do. And uh, discipline, as we're going to be talking about, it really invites the child 
to reach those goals that Susan, you put so well in the continuum, being kind, being observant of rules, being considerate, thinking through a situation and doing the right thing. You know, I think an example might come in handy here. And we're going to put our continuum on our website because I know it's pretty hard to visualize all these steps. And it sounds like I have a million steps here, but when parents begin to do this, Arthur, they always say, I don't have time to do that. And we'll talk about that when we're finished with talking about the general continuum. But these steps meld into each other. So let's take a very typical everyday occurrence, two children fighting over a toy. And and Susan, when we go through these things, I hope our listeners keep track of some of the key themes that will be coming out from each of these examples. Right. So let's say we have two children fighting over a toy. Let's say it's this super duper fire truck, you know, with a, a retractable hose or something, something that's fun. And the children could be siblings, different ages. They could be peers. They could be children in a school. Two children are playing with a toy and and they're fighting over it. And the parent can see like they're really going to come to blows in just about a second. So what do most parents say? What's the first thing that most parents will say? They'll say, who had it first? <laughs> a question which I guarantee I can tell you the answer. Both children will say, I had it first. And it's not that one of them is actually out and out lying. What they're really having is like a wish thing. Like they wish that they were the one who had it first. But in the moment with their excitement and their feelings, it's so high. That's really what feels like the truth to them. So that question is going to get you, that's not going to get you very far. Now you could jump to like, you could just say, oh, you can't play with this toy. I'm going to take it away. That might actually be a step in the continuum. But why do we have to start with that? Why do we have to start with assuming that those children don't have the capability of figuring out how to problem solve. And this is the part that parents really have trouble with because it's, we're so used to having a question, why did you do that? Who had it first? Or, or making a directive, you know, give this to me, don't do that. I tell parents a good way to start is to start with the words, I see. And then instead of making a value judgment, like you boys are being bad, you make a descriptive statement. And this sounds so easy, and I guarantee you, it's so hard. Because in the moment, your emotions are high as well. But if you could say, hmm, I see two boys, and they both really want to play with that special fire truck. You'd be surprised how surprised children are. (laughs) And they might just put down the truck just for a second and look at you. Now, if the kids are really fighting, you have to get, you should always be getting down to their level anyway. And you might even have to put your hand on the truck to make sure that it doesn't go flying. But if you can just say those words, I see that you both really want to turn with this. And I can see that you're both have very strong feelings about this. And then you pause. And it's amazing that that small pause can sometimes just let kids take a deep breath and then just sort of reframe what they're doing at that particular moment. So that is a great way to start. So much harder than it sounds, right, Arthur? Yeah, and I I really encourage our listeners to take note that these are critical steps in all discussions of discipline, a small pause. And the other thing I want to say is that you'll find that your child's going to be quite curious about what's coming next. Because as you say, Susan, there are very few parents who start off with saying, I see that you're fighting over the toy truck. Almost everyone will say, stop it, or they'll take away the truck, or they'll say, who had it first, all the things that we're talking about. So when you say, I see, there's an element of shock, like, (laughs) what? 
they're not mad. Like, you're not mad at me. Something bad's not going to happen to me because I started this fuss. And now you've got their attention. And not only that, you've got them engaged with you. They're with you now. Right. And then the next step is just really to maybe label some feelings. Boy, you are really angry about that. I can see from your face that they're angry. You say that they're angry. And parents say, but I don't like to say I see that you're angry because I'll give them an idea. And I'm here to tell you, you don't put an idea about feelings into a child's head. You can see that the child is feeling anger. You can see that the child is frustrated or upset. By labeling it, you give your child a small gift. The most important person in their life, their parent, is saying, I get how you feel. Then after you've labeled feelings, again, as Arthur said, they're going to be looking at you like, hmm, like what is going to come next? Then I like to do an open-ended question or an empowerment question, or actually a statement, I should say, not a question. And my statement would be something like, boy, you know, I know that you boys are really good problem solvers. You're good thinkers. I know that if you take a little minute... I bet you can figure out a way for both of you to have a turn with this truck. Again, that very important pause. Don't say anything for a few seconds. And this works with children two and a half and above. And this is the most amazing thing. When I do this with parents and I do it in the classroom where you do it in real time with real children... It's amazing. One child often says, you have it, or you, and then they get up and walk away, or an older child might make an elaborate thing. Well, you know, I really just wanted to see how that hose worked. Oh, there it is. I'll I'll get it later. You think I'm kidding. Arthur, it's happened thousands of times. I don't even mean like a few times. I mean thousands of times. When children are allowed to be the problem solvers, they are much much more willing to accept a compromise and to be able to move forward when they're in a conflicting situation. Yeah, because the compromise is their product. They own it. And it works because you start off with that neutral statement, very neutral observation. I see you're doing this or that. And and they're curious, as we said, and now you've got them. And then you, you pause a little and then you describe their feelings. You get some agreement on that. Well, it turns out that if you're talking to anybody and you're in conversation with them and you ask them a question, it's next to impossible for them not to respond. That's just how we're built. So when you start off by saying, I see, and then label the feelings, then when you hit them with the question, is there a better way to solve this? Or what would be your idea to solve this situation? And just be quiet. During that quiet moment there, that's the core of the whole approach, because now the child is really feeling compelled to answer you. And they're mulling over what their solution is. And now that's how that we get them into the problem solving. That's so true. And I will tell you, parents, when they try it, they will call me back up and they said, I doubted you, but it actually works. And it does. But I have to tell you, it doesn't work 100% of the time because sometimes children are in a very bad place. Just like we have days where nothing is going to make us happy or nothing's going to satisfy us. I can assure you, children have those same kind of days. And if you've got two kids who have really just been going at it all day and you can see that they are not able to resolve this situation at that moment, then you go to the parent-directed continuum. You say, today is just a hard day. I see that you're not going to be able to share this truck. So I'm going to take it. I'm going to put it up on a shelf and we'll try again in a couple of hours, the next day, whatever makes sense for that situation. You know, 
Arthur and I do live in the real world. We have children, we have grandchildren, and we know that the world doesn't stop so that you can go through all these steps. But I'm telling you that once you start using them, these steps meld together and this goes very, very quickly. But I'm going to give an example, Arthur, because I have the perfect question from, let me see, this is from Jessica, and she wrote in a question that fits in perfectly to this end of the continuum. May Let's I read that? It. Okay. Yeah, you bet. All right, so Jessica writes, In the morning when I'm trying to get to work and take my child to preschool, she just will not get in her car seat. She teases and refuses until I lose my temper, and that just feels like a terrible way for both of us to start our day. So going back to our continuum, what I'd like to do is start by saying the neutral statement, boy, I don't know what the child's name is, but you know, we'll call her Sally. Sally, you're having a hard time getting in your car seat today. I know it's hard to say goodbye to mommy and go to school some days, but this is what we need to do. And you pause. And then you can say, I know you can figure out, do you want to crawl in your seat? You, know, you can give her a couple of options. If she's still teasing and running and jumping, you know, trying to hide under the, the seat in the car, then you can say, we need to go right now. You remember, you're moving down the continuum. You're at the parent directorate. And sometimes you just have to say, you know something, Sally, if you cannot, I'm going to count to three. If you cannot climb into your car seat, I'm going to have to pick you up and put you in your car seat. Don't think you're going to like that very much, but that's what I'm going to do. You give your child a nice little warning. You say, okay, let's count. And at three, either she climbs in the car seat. Many children do. And if she's not ready to do it that day, you fold her up (laughs) and put her in the car seat because you've got to get to work and she's got to get to school. And then when things calm down, you can say to her, you made a choice today that didn't make you very happy because chances are, if you do that, your child's going to cry and be very upset. And that, of course, is not a great way to start the day. But when you leave her, you can say, tomorrow when it's time to get in her car seat, you can make a different choice. I like that example so much because it really is one of those situations, you know, if we were able to do this live in front of an audience, we would say, how many people have been in this situation? You know, anyone with kids who've been in that age group will raise their hand. And, and it also highlights what we mean by the continuum, offering solutions to the kids come up with. And in this case, we'd be saying to Sally, it's up to you, Sally. You can find your path to the car seat or I can put you in there, whichever you prefer. And then she'll let you know what her choice is. And then we talk about watching her get in the seat. And uh, we'll talk about that in another podcast, how to praise her for that. Or saying, oh, I see you've chosen not to get in the seat. You've chosen that you want me to put you in there. Okay, we'll go your way and we'll put you in there. So it's it's a real world uh, story. We're not saying, you know, parents should desert the conflict. We stay involved. But we're trying to give kids as much opportunity to take charge. And and even if we end up doing the solution, it's at the kids' direction, still their choice. They're still running the problem solving. You know, Arthur, when we were speaking about this yesterday, just talking about what we were going to be talking about today, you mentioned um, the magic bullet about parenting being easy. And you, it was such a beautiful way you put it. Yeah. I, I think that this is exactly, no one thinks that if you have a few little tools in your toolkit, that the day is going to always run smoothly. Well, I'll tell you something, Susan. We really have to respect the power of people at any age, including babies and children. And when I say power, I really mean that because uh, the 18-month-old, the 24-month-old, the three-year-old, maybe even the four-year-old, but certainly the toddler, has a huge advantage over their parent. And that is when they want something, 
they don't have two or three thoughts about it. They put their entire emotional weight behind their behavior. They want to not get in the car seat. They want to not get in the car seat with their entire being, with their entire emotional power and weight, and they throw everything they've got at the problem. Whereas us poor parents are conflicted all over the place. We really want to get them in the darn car seat because we got to get to work. We don't want to get into a fight with them. We don't want to get them upset. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We're afraid of trauma. We have five or six different thoughts swirling in our head at all times. And that puts us in a much weaker position than the child who's got their entire emotional armory united for one purpose. So no wonder parents feel torn in, in all of these discipline situations. Do they give in? Do they set a limit? Do they cajole? Do they bribe, right? Yeah, there's a thousand choices. So as we go through this, we see a clear path. We've been developing these techniques for many years, but we, we do it with a lot of humility and a lot of appreciation for what all of us as parents go through, which is very, very difficult. So as you said so well, our advice of observing neutrally and saying, I see you've done something, label the feeling as observe, you know, what they're doing, and then asking the question, putting the question to them, what's a better path forward is not a magic bullet. It's a way to have a conversation. And that's really what we're proposing here. The teaching, that the discipline, that the inculcation of a good way to be a good citizen come through conversation with respect for the child being someone who's going to be ultimately responsible for finding these solutions. Oh, Arthur, thank you for that insight. And I have, um, I think we're going to end the podcast with, this is an unusual question in a way, and this is from Elena. And I like this question because this is a thoughtful mother, and I'm going to read it to you now with your permission. My child loves the playground, but when it's time to go, he runs away, hides, and refuses to get in the car. A mom I know pretends she's leaving without her child. She says goodbye and starts to walk away, and then her child comes running to her. But I'm wondering, is this a good idea? I would like to say to Elena, the fact that you're actually asking about if this is a good idea shows that you have very, very good instincts. Because I have absolutely no doubt that this method works. And why does it work? Because you're actually getting to the child's most, well, their innermost fears, their fear of that their parent actually could walk away and leave them, that they could be abandoned, that they could be lost. Nothing could be more um, central to a child's sense of well-being. So I always say to parents, no matter how frustrating it is when your child's running away, no matter how much you have to get into the car and get home to pick up another child or whatever it is, you cannot ever pretend to walk away from your child. It really frightens them in a way that it's very difficult to actually rebuild that kind of trust. Instead, you basically do what we did with the car seat. You have to give your child the warning. Most parents know about that. They give the five-minute warning, the one-minute warning. The trouble is, is that most three, fours, fives, and even sixes have very little idea what one minute is in five minutes. So instead, I say to parents, instead of saying one minute, you can say to them, choose one more thing to do. And that could be three pushes on a swing, one slide down the big slide, whatever it is, you have to be very specific and say it. And when they've chosen, you have a more than 50% chance of that child coming with you and getting in the car. If they still refuse, which of course, 
does happen, then you go back to what we did with the car seat. You can just say, I'm going to count to three. If you're not ready to come with me and hold my hand, I'm going to have to pick you up. And I don't think you'll like that. I don't think you want to leave the playground with me carrying you. I think you'd rather leave like a big boy holding my hand. You know, I think this running away thing really gets at the heart of being a parent because it's scary. Some threats from kids don't mean anything because they can't do anything about it. But, you know, a kid could run away. So, and that's terrifying. And I I totally understand when parents feel like they can't process this threat. They have to act. But uh, I just love what you said, Susan, because it really gives everybody a chance as a parent to think about a way to really help the child be the problem solvers we've been saying, and at the same time address this threat. I mean, it is a real threat and you want to address it, but this is a path forward that really gives parents a strong, strong sense of confidence that they can manage the situation without getting panicked. Right. And in turn, they don't want to panic their child by pretending to be the ones that are running away and leaving their child. You're right. It goes to the heart of both a parent's biggest fears and a child's biggest fear, doesn't it? Absolutely. So I want to thank you, Susan, for uh, these great insights around discipline. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I hope our listeners have too. We're going to be devoting several sessions of our Parent Talk podcast to the most exciting examples of of everyday discipline. We've shared a couple with you today, but we're going to devote some time specifically to the toddler, as Susan, you've mentioned, and also the uh, four or five-year-old and older children as well. So look for those special podcasts on discipline. And don't forget that we're going to be talking about the other side discipline. Susan mentioned the other side is praise. And that's not such an easy thing to do uh, thoughtfully either. So we're really excited about a podcast on, on overpraising, praising effectively, helping kids feel good about their behavior in a very effective way. So thank you all for joining us. And Susan, once again, a real pleasure sharing this podcast with you. My pleasure too. Bye-bye, Arthur. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.